0: Well, I thought we might start this morning with a bit of a confession time. I know that you're good Anglicans, so you're probably used to a good time of confession, are you? Um, Tell me here if you've ever taken a selfie photo. Come on. I know some of you have. Okay, we're going to take a selfie right now, okay? Now, if I take a selfie here, we're going to have this huge gap In the middle, and it looks like nobody is at St Stephen's at 9:30 a.m. You don't want that, do you? So let's come on, everybody, gather in. Can we have a little bit more gathering in? We want to look like there are lots of people at St Stephen's. And I've got—I'm not good at selfies, so I've got to turn the camera around the right way. Okay, up, up. up. Up, up. Okay, is that better? Okay, there's still. Oh, look, I'll cover up the blank chairs. How's that? All right, now, (laughs) big smiles. Morning everyone, another one, I wasn't smiling, I was too busy (laughs) concentrating, okay, excellent, that's wonderful, okay, we'll post that later, now I'm glad that you've um, admitted to taking selfies Um, and how many of you having taken the selfie have posted it? Okay, there's a few hands there. Well, of course, the rise of social media sites like Facebook and Instagram have made the selfie immensely popular. And apparently, around half the people on the planet have now taken a selfie and posted it online. But the research is also telling us that people who take a lot of selfies tend to be slightly narcissistic and they may even have psychopathic personality traits, which is not to say, of course, that everybody who takes a selfie is a psychopath, but it does imply a high need for self-gratification, particularly if they're posted online, and somewhat of an obsession with self. So where am I going with all of this now? Have I got a um, have I got some slides to go up there? That would be lovely if we. Oh, that's terrific! That's wonderful! That's beautiful! And I think I should be able to work them. This we'll see how we're going. Oh, thank you! Excellent. <laughs> now I've just returned a few weeks back from inspecting Bible Society projects in Laos, Cambodia, and Vietnam, and I met incredibly inspirational men and women who've become Christians and who are helping their communities access the Bible and know the love and grace of Jesus by being involved in translation literacy and evangelism and all of them express the deep desire to serve their communities and their people who are often um, persecuted ethnic minorities with the gospel. Now, of course, one of the marks and means of the Christian life is serving. Jesus himself modelled a life of service, culminating in the ultimate act of service when he gave up his life on the cross, when he died, that we might live. And from our reading, we know that just a day prior, Jesus and his disciples celebrated the Passover together. And it was during the meal that Jesus got up poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. Now, picture Jesus kneeling at the foot of the men. These were dirty, dusty, smelly feet. And of course, at first they protested, but Jesus insisted because he wanted to leave them a very clear picture of not just who he was, but who he wanted them to be as his followers. As Jesus served us, so we are called to serve others. And one of the most important things that we can do as people of faith is to live a life that serves others. And that's about as far away from the narcissistic world of the selfie culture as you can get. Let me remind you of what Jesus had to say in our reading. Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus is saying that even though the gospel starts off incredibly self-focused, we rightly call him teacher and Lord, It's not supposed to stay that way. Let me explain. When I was 21, I went forward in a tiny little chapel and gave my life to Jesus. I knew that if I accepted him, Jesus would forgive me of my sins, that Jesus would take away all my guilt and my shame, and there was a lot of that, and that he would be my friend right through my life. I also knew that Jesus would take me to heaven when I die. And making that decision felt wonderful, and it was gloriously that morning all just about Jesus and me. And I imagine that many of you can identify with my experience. For me, the gospel was and is very, very personal, and no doubt it is for you too. But if that's where it stops... It's not the whole gospel. In fact, in the words of Richard Stearns, who's the president of World Vision International, that version of the gospel, the one where it's just about us and Jesus, is a gospel with a hole in it. He said, being a Christian requires much more than just having a personal and transforming relationship with God. It also entails a public and transforming relationship with the world. If your personal faith in Christ has no outward expression, then your faith has a hole in it, an awfully big hole. So let me take you back to the start of Jesus' ministry. When he identified and called his disciples, he didn't say to them, follow me and I'll take you to heaven. He actually said, follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. You see, Jesus wasn't just calling his disciples, he was sending them. He wasn't just inviting them to follow him, he was asking them to join his work, to go out into the world and serve people just as he did. And when Jesus said these words about fishing for people, he was talking to people who fished for a living. He made a direct connection between the life they'd been living and the life that he was calling them to. He was saying, I'm going to take this life of yours and I'm going to turn it into a mission. I'm going to take this life of yours and I'm going to turn it into a purposeful life. I want you to follow me but not just for your own sake, for the sake of others. So the gospel isn't just about Jesus and me. It's about Jesus and his mission. It's about Jesus and others, and it's about following him for the sake of others. And I was so reminded by this, by these faithful men and women that I met across Indochina, They're brave and courageous because while we might consider countries like Vietnam to be exotic holiday destinations, the church there is controlled and regulated and it's certainly not free. Uh, Christians are monitored by the authorities and Christian pastors have to be registered with a government minder and they must submit all of their church activities to that minder for approval. And not all activities are approved, far from it. And the Christian community um, risks comfort and livelihood and more to serve their communities and to share the gospel. Gospel. Harassment is particularly strong in areas where the church is growing and remarkably it's growing at an exponential rate in the rural ethnic minority communities in these countries. Now of course this growth threatens the control of authorities so persecution of the Christians and of pastors increases and I really felt so privileged to meet these women and men of faith and to be with them. And I recognise that they knew something that we in the comfortable, complacent West often miss. And it's this. You only get one life. This isn't a dress rehearsal. And at the end of it, there's only one thing that counts. It's not the money you've made or the who you are in society doesn't matter how large your house is or how many friends you have doesn't even matter how many tributes are shared at your funeral the only thing that matters is your relationship to God through faith in Jesus Christ and if you really understand the essence of that and if you've settled that if you've given your Christ your heart and your life then it also follows that you will have given him your life's work and service and that you will have made a difference. Now I've been a pastor, a minister for over 20 years and I've spent a lot of time with people who are coming to the end of their earthly life. I find that most want to know that they've lived in such a way that people will be glad that they did. And people who love and follow Jesus and allow themselves to be used by him are generally deeply satisfied. But in truth, not everyone has such thoughts. Some people live their lives oblivious to the world around them. They tend to live and die and they never even ask why. Now I doubt that those of us are here are like that. The fact that we choose to spend Sunday mornings in worship and gathering in community, grappling with spiritual issues, tends to indicate that we want our lives to matter. We belong with those who want the world to be glad that we lived. So will it? What can we do to make a difference? And can God actually use us? Now, most of us here live fairly comfortably Compared to the majority of the world, we live very well. All of us in Australia, even our pensioners, are in the richest 1% of the world based on earnings. Even pensioners, the richest 1% of the world. We're all very rich by the world's standards. We're rich in terms of assets, we're rich in terms of opportunity and access to healthcare, the availability of choice that we have. We're rich even in terms of our circumstances. But even as we contemplate that, the reality is that we actually live in devastating times. Few of us are likely among the 1.75 billion people in this world who are desperately poor the one billion who will go hungry today, the millions being trafficked in slavery, and none of us is likely to die of a preventable disease anytime soon, of di- diarrhoea or of malaria or measles, deaths all preventable with basic medication. And praise God, few of us will ever know what it means to escape war or to have our family, our home and our livelihood destroyed by war. Yet this is a part of, this is the world that we're a part of. We're living our lives during desperate, devastating times and we are the church. We have one life to live and Jesus calls those of us who choose to follow him to be the church, to go out into the world and make a difference in his name. So will we? Let me ask you three hypothetical questions that I've asked myself. Had you been a German Christian during World War II, would you have taken a stand against Hitler? Had you lived in America during the civil rights conflict, would you have taken a stand against racism? When our grandchildren discover we lived during a day in which 1.75 billion people were devastatingly poor and 1 billion were hungry and more people were trafficked as slaves than at any other time in our history, how will they judge our response? Now, I like to think I would have spoken up about those shocking atrocities, injustices in the historical scenarios had I been there. But I struggled with the third question because That is our world today, and I am alive and here. And after asking myself that difficult question, I've had some sleepless nights. And then I asked some more. Why do Aboriginal Australians continue to die at alarmingly high rates from treatable and preventable diseases? Why are they incarcerated at shockingly disproportional rates? and suffer far higher infant mortality rates than the non-Indigenous population. Whose responsibility is it that somewhere around 50% of Australians with disabilities, physical and mental, live below the poverty line? How did we become a nation where over one woman every week dies as a result of domestic violence? where one in three women will experience violence in their lifetime and where the family home, yes, the family home, is the most dangerous place a woman can be. Now, these are big, complex problems, and I don't want to suggest that any one of us alone has the capacity to deal with them. But here's another reality. Ours is the wealthiest generation ever. We are bright, bright. We are educated and we are experienced. We can travel around the world in under 24 hours and send a message in a millisecond. We have sophisticated research and medicine at our fingertips and we have ample resources. Our world does have enough food to feed the hungry and house the refugees and the capacity to reach every person on the planet with the gospel. God has given us everything that we need to end physical and spiritual poverty. So why don't we? And whose responsibility is it anyway? You know, when Jesus called his disciples to change the world with him, they were simple fishermen. They weren't powerful, influential men. Jesus wanted more for them than to just run a business or to make a living. He wanted them to make a difference. Anything else was too small a calling. Let me personalise that for us. We might be living good lives. We might genuinely consider ourselves Christian. But if we're following Jesus just for our own sake... We're not really following him the way he wants us to and if we haven't joined him in his work in the world, our lives are too small and we've settled for making a living when we could have been making a difference. The author Davy Garland says this, the call and response of these fishermen should shatter our comfortable world of middle class discipleship. Disciples are not simply those who fill pews, attend occasional Bible study and offer to help out in the work of the church now and then. When one is hooked by Jesus, one's whole life and purpose are transformed. Could any of us have fallen for selfie Christianity? Were it still essentially all about us? And if that's the case, I'm not suggesting that our eternity is in jeopardy, but that our purpose is. And when we don't live out our purpose, the world is poorer, and so are we. Now at this point, some of you might be feeling a little defensive. She doesn't know my life. She doesn't know how busy I am, she doesn't know how hard things are for me and you're right, I don't, but I do know this. You and I were made to make a difference, our lives were made to count and the world should be a better place because of us. I know that some of us are not in a position to do as much as we might want to Some of us are elderly, perhaps we're infirm, unemployed, caring for others, raising families. But it doesn't change the basic premise that we were called by Jesus to follow him and to change the world in his name, no matter our circumstances. So perhaps you are elderly and unable to get out. Well, you can pray. You can phone and be an encouragement to someone. You can write notes or birthday cards. You can invite others over for a cuppa. Are you infirm? Well, you know how difficult that is then. So find someone who's doing it tougher than you and make it your mission to encourage them and pray for them. Perhaps you're unemployed, and I'm really sorry about that, particularly if you want to work. And I know that financially things are bound to be tough. But on the upside, you have time on your hands. You have time to volunteer, time to run an elderly neighbour to a doctor's appointment, time to encourage others in the same situation. Perhaps you're a busy mum. Well, there are other mums who feel isolated and lonely. Single mums are particularly vulnerable, so how about having one or two of them over for morning tea and a play date on a regular basis? Now don't fuss. Just be honest and real. And they'll love they'll love that you cared enough to have them and their brood over. Perhaps you've experienced trouble. Well, that means you're qualified to stand along someone alongside someone else who has. Listen to what the Bible might be saying to you. God comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Perhaps you lack confidence and you don't feel like you've got anything to contribute. Perhaps you're nervous and anxious about putting yourself out there. Well, the fact is, if Jesus has called you, and he has, he did so knowing exactly who you are and what your frailties are. And he wants you to serve his world regardless. He wants the busy to make time. He wants the timid to step up. He wants the ordinary to be extraordinary. He wants the important to be humbled. And he wants simple, everyday people like us to change the world, or at least our world. He wants us to make a difference, and I'm not sure that any excuse is valid. In the words of one of my heroines, Baroness Carolyn Cox, who spent a lifetime working to change the world, nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something. Ephesians says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves it is a gift of god not by works so that no one can boast for we are god's handiwork created in christ jesus to do good works which god prepared in advance for us to do so let's be clear we aren't saved by good works but we are saved for good works and remember our god is ascending god jesus said peace be with you As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And Jesus is actually referenced as being sent 44 times in the New Testament. It was God's deliberate strategy for reconciliation with us. And just as Jesus was sent, so are we. Now it's easy to think it's for someone else. It's for missionaries. It's not for me. But do you know that the word missionary is never used in the Bible? Not once. And that's because all of God's people are sent. All of us are commanded to go, to be ambassadors for Christ. There is no special class of superhero sent ones. Now, it's not our mission, it's God's. And we're not the method, we're just the means. Christ is the method. And as with anything, if you have both method and means, you can achieve great things, only God things. So, who are you serving? Who are you sharing the gospel with? Is the world a better place because of you? Who are you making a difference for? Will the world be glad that you lived? We all need to see the need and touch the hurt regardless of our own. Jesus didn't just announce that the kingdom had come. He demonstrated it. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. He ministered to the lonely. He included the marginalized. He blessed the children and he called people back to the Father and he calls us to do the same. Now I'm incredibly blessed to be able to spend my working life witnessing mission at its finest here at home bible society is increasingly needing to advocate for the worth and value of the bible somewhere around half of australians still claim to be christians but we know a tiny percentage of these actually attend church many don't read or engage with the bible outside of sunday worship And we can no longer assume that Australians know the classic Bible stories or how the Bible has been foundational in the development and life of our society. Now, I can readily identify with this as I didn't grow up in a Christian family. I had one grandmother who was a Christian, though, and she read and shared stories from the Bible with me. She was my first and earliest Christian influence. And the stories that she shared impacted me enormously even as a young child and then in the tiny state school i attended i was blessed to have a christian teacher who delighted in sharing his faith with us actually recently i was home in victoria where i grew up and i was able to meet with him after not having seen him for somewhere around 40 years And I was able to thank him and tell him how important it was that he shared his faith with me in primary school. You know, in many ways, I was fortunate because many Aussie kids don't even have that level of influence and exposure to the faith. And at Bible Society, we're always looking for ways we can support and encourage not just the sharing of Scripture but also that understanding of how important the Bible is to our society and the life that we enjoy. And you might be aware that recently we've acquired a number of organisations so that today Bible Society Group comprises not just Bible Society, but also the Centre for Public Christianity, Eternity News and Kurong Bookshops. And together we pray that we can be a force for good in our nation. Not just distributing the Bible, but also encouraging new generations of Australians to take a fresh look at it and the incredible and life-changing message that it contains. Some of you are probably um, aware and familiar with Bible Society's international mission work. And I'd love to share just a couple of highlights with you from the last year. In war-torn Syria, we've partnered with local churches to provide over 25,000 children and their families with special children's and families Bibles. And through this, we pray that these children and their families, living through immensely difficult times, might know some hope, restoration and joy. In South Africa... Where you're partnering also, we've been able to provide literacy among over 80,000 black children who live in extreme poverty and who are in dire need of education. We're currently working in South Sudan to provide literacy for the non-literate Now, The majority of these people live in refugee camps along the Ugandan border. They're refugees in their own country. And similar literacy work is taking place among women in refugee camps in Cameroon, many of whom have fled the horrors of Boko Haram. In Pakistan, we're partnering in a project that has a particular place in my heart. Over the life of this project, over 30,000 women have learned to read using the Bible. And over 80,000 Bibles and Bible portions have been distributed through their communities. Now simple, profound testimonies come to us from those whose lives have been changed by this work and when I read them, I'm reminded of Jesus' own words. Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And conversely, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Now, there is a multitude of good reasons to extend our hands and our hearts in missions, but as Christians, as Jesus followers, there is none higher than this. When we serve those in need, we are loving Jesus. It's a message that Jesus made crystal clear. When we love them, when we serve others, we love him. And in so doing, we make a difference, and ultimately, the world will be glad that we lived Now, it's ironic. We don't believe in our own ability to make a difference, but clearly God does. Otherwise, he would have had a different plan to change the world. But you know what? We're it. We're the plan. And God's challenge to us as ordinary, broken, sinful, but forgiven women and men is to join him to change the world, to do something that will make the world glad that we lived. There are several billion reasons to consider and accept God's challenge. Some of them may live in your own house. Certainly they live in your streets and in your suburb and certainly in their city. Some of them, though, live in places that you've never been to. They live in a slum in Cambodia and want to go to school. Or perhaps they live in a brothel in Bangkok and they dream of a different life. They're fleeing war and persecution in Syria or Iraq and they long for a safe haven in a world that seemingly doesn't want them. Some are in deep and desperate need and trouble because of their own decisions and others are entirely innocent victims. For some their needs are huge and for others simply a kind word, a friendly face, an invitation to talk and a helping hand will be enough for now. And Jesus says to us, follow me and I will send you out. Let me make your small life big. Let me multiply and increase what you have. Let me help you experience not just life, but a life that makes a difference. Let me help you truly live. Let me pray for us. Gracious God. You have given us eyes to see the need, but we so often don't or choose not to. You have given us hands to serve, but many of us are apparently too busy, too important, or feel too insignificant to use them for that purpose. You have given us hearts to feel, but we live in a culture that is consumed by self, and it's so hard to stand apart from this. Forgive us, we pray send us out again lord give us another opportunity to serve you and your people help us to truly see those you put in our paths their hurts their joys their challenges their longings and their desires may we open our hearts and our hands to offer help support and encouragement and may they be blessed through us and as they are blessed may we be too lord Father, we thank you that you have called us and invited us to partner with you in your mission in your world. What a privilege. Fit us for your purposes, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.